anytime I take myself out of my own comfort zone and out of my current location, I always grow. And traveling specifically to meet people different from me has been something that I've been wanting to do forever. And it hasn't been until the past few years that I've been able to put myself in a position to do that. But I think it's so important. I think it's more important now than ever to be able to take a look at the lives of people who seem different from us. Because I think the conclusion we'll draw is that they're not that different. And that's where empathy and, you know, just being better people comes from. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 295, I sit down for part two of my exchange with actors Britt Harris and Molly Elizabeth Parker to talk about Jump the Fence, their unique international filmmaking project. You guys remember this from last episode, seven films in seven countries in seven months with seven different directors. It's amazing. Uh, in part two today, Britt and Molly and I dive deeper into the process uh, of the uncertain nature of filmmaking, both narrative filmmaking and documentary filmmaking. We also talk about the currency of passion the growth that's available to us when we commit to working outside of our comfort zones, and some of the joys and pitfalls of traveling while making art. It's good stuff. That and more coming up today in episode 295. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the current version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors that is now available in the iTunes App Store. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger choices, and do a whole lot more, go right now to Rehearsal.pro slash IAP to learn about all the great new features in the newest version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Hey, AJ, welcome back to Los Estados Unidos. <laughs> well done. You look rested, man. How you doing? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm still experiencing some jet lag, but uh, other than that, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing all right. You have some kind of incredible news to share yeah i have a little bit of news i uh took advantage of being uh you know in europe and took advantage of being in a very romantic place like uh, seville spain uh, sevilla and uh and i and i put a ring on it bruh pop the question uh on this on this on this bridge over the river in uh, in Seville, uh, Puente de Isabel dos, Isabel the second. Um, this random bridge that uh, was beautiful, this beautiful bridge, beautiful setting. We're walking across the bridge, and as if I had hired this dude, there was an old Spanish man playing the accordion, playing La Vian Rose. It was ridiculous, um, and uh, and it, yeah, couldn't have been. It was magical. It was I couldn't have planned it better. Um, and and Jasmine is is a is a bloodhound when it comes to surprises. She ruins 
every surprise that I ever attempt. And so the fact that she was surprised was almost as good as the yes. <laughs> the fact that I like got her, you know, that she was surprised was, was, was just as sweet as the, uh, as the actual yes itself. So, uh, and she was, she was surprised. She had no idea that it was, that it was coming. So, uh, I was pretty proud of that one. I have to, to admit to make this all about me. Uh, I had a feeling, I had a feeling, but I, I have a question because you said that you had been planning it. Um, but also that there was this sort of like impromptu guy with an accordion there. So, so how much research ahead of time did you do? Or were you just sort of like, did you scout out the, the, you know, the, the grounds when you got there? No, I knew, I knew I was going to do it that night, but I didn't know where, and I didn't know how, um, I, I did a little bit of research as she took a nap that afternoon. Um, and that was all part of it. Like she's so good at sniffing out surprises that I didn't want to plan anything. Cause I knew if I told anyone, which I, the other thing I didn't do, I didn't tell anybody until my mom and tell her mom and tell any of my family, n- like nobody, none of our, like, obviously you didn't know. I didn't tell Ben, <clears throat> nobody knew before we went. I didn't tell anyone and I didn't plan anything specific um, because I knew that all it would take is some, I don't know, notification on my phone or something like for her to see and be like, wait a second. <laughs> Cause she's, I'm telling you, she's like Sherlock Holmes. It's crazy. Um, and, and so that day she was taking a nap that afternoon and I just went on to my phone and we were at the uh, Airbnb. So I had some Wi-Fi, which was nice. And just, uh, made a reservation at this rooftop restaurant looking over the river. And I was like, <clears throat> we're going to go there. I told her we were going there. I was like, we're going to go there so that we can, you know, enjoy Cause we hadn't done a rooftop yet in Spain. I was like, well, no, we haven't done a rooftop yet. So let's go do that. It looks like a pretty good place, blah, blah, blah. And I knew that we we're going to have to walk across this bridge in order to get there. And I was like, ah, that seems, that seems like a good spot. That's so cool. <laughs> that seems like a good <clears throat> Oh man. Yeah. So it worked out. The, the, the proposal gods were smiling upon me on that day. Uh, but most importantly, she was surprised. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I told you before, it just, it fills me with so much joy and excitement and, and love to, to hear this news. So, um, you know, for what it's worth, uh, again, congratulations. I, I love the crap out of you guys and I'm so happy for this next step. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, I'm excited too. It's, um, you know, people say it feels exactly the same and completely different. That's pretty much how I feel right now. It's like nothing's changed and everything's changed. You know, dude, that is so cool. Well, welcome back. If people want to connect with your trip, I'm sure you've got, you know, all these photos. I'm sure I'd be going through and sharing some of them. Can they uh, tune into your Instagram or your Twitter or, or do you have a blog that you're going to set up or what's the deal? No, they'll start going up on my Instagram here pretty soon. Um, I gotta, I gotta go through and curate cause I'm not going to post 1250 <laughs> or whatever, a thousand photos. But, um, but yeah, they'll start they'll, they'll start going up there pretty soon. Yeah, digital actor over on Instagram as well. Cool. Well, again, welcome back, and again, congratulations. Thanks. That's a quick-
quick shout out to VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and the winner, when we say award-winning, this is kind of what we're talking about, the winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for the best voiceover training anywhere, everywhere, available. That's four years in a row that VO2GoGo has won that award. So if you want to see what that's all about, visit VO2GoGo.com slash start and jump into the free Getting Started in VoiceOver online class that'll help you add VoiceOver to your acting portfolio. It's a, it's a pretty key skill, especially as we move into this new era where technology and the internet and algorithms and all this stuff reigns supreme. I think every actor should be an actor, a writer, a director, a producer, an editor, and have some voiceover skills. I think it's going to be something that's more and more in demand. So check it out. VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. And we have two questions that we want to respond to. And the first one comes from a listener named Bailey. And Bailey wrote to us from Chicago, the Windy City. And uh, she says, I have been invited to audition for an open call in Chicago for an on-camera audition for like an agency, a talent group, um, for an on-camera audition. So I guess that means that they want to put her on tape in person. Uh, and she said it's going to be for representation. So this is, you know, kind of a big deal. This could potentially be a, an agent-actor relationship. She says, I've never had an on-camera audition before, so do you have any helpful tips or reminders about, you know, how to do this when I'm in the room? Any advice that we can offer would be greatly appreciated. So, AJ, I'm going to immediately punt this to you because you've been just crushing it on camera with uh, your your um, your um all your various, you know, auditions on camera. So, uh, any thoughts for Bailey on um, what to do in the room while they're, while she's being taped in these meetings? It is a little, yeah, you, 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 you kind of uh, hit it right there, Trev. It's a little confused. The email is a little confusing because I, I guess she's going into the room, but they're going to be putting her on camera. Um, that, that to me, um, is similar to uh, a pre-read. In other words, you go in for a casting director or a casting assistant or casting associate and you read with them, but you're being put on tape for other people like producers, directors, et cetera. It's typically how uh, an initial call is run. So um, if you've ever gone in for, you know, a, what they would call a read, that's kind of what it is. You're in a room, like you physically had to drive or, you know, take mass transit or something, get yourself over to a place, but then there's a camera in the room um, filming the, the audition. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, there's the there's the trope about being smaller on camera, but it's true. The challenge I feel like with uh, on with on camera versus say theater or other uh, types of acting is y you have to take the same level of energy and just contain it. So the trap that sometimes people fall into is like, well, if I'm, if I'm smaller, I also need to be lower energy. Yeah. But you can't be lower energy because the camera picks up on that. It's a great, um, you know, what did Rick Zeif called the microphone, the voiceover microphone, a great bullshit detector. You know, the camera's a pretty good bullshit detector as well. Yeah. So you can't, you can't lose the energy. You have to just take it and, and sort of contain it. Um, so just in general, keep that in mind. 
be as off book as possible. I don't know how early on you're getting the sides or if you're getting them in the room or, or whatever. Um, get really good at getting off book. I, I blew away when I was doing some early, you know, agent manager uh, seeking early on. I, I blew some people away just by going into the room, having some sides handed to me, then going back into the room five minutes later and being almost off book. And that's just a skill that you build from doing a lot of, you know, cold reads and stuff like that. But you want to keep your eyes off the page because you want the camera to be able to see them. Now, that doesn't mean look into the camera. Obviously, that's a big no-no. You're going to look off to the one side or the other for eye line. Hopefully, somebody is reading with you in the room. Um, But don't be afraid to look away from that person. That's the other thing. So you want to engage with them and you want to draw them in because if you're drawing them in, the camera will also be drawn in. But don't be afraid to, you know, people think, well, I, I have to always be facing the camera. I've seen people turn around in their auditions if the if it was right. It has to be organic. Like it has to come from an organic place. You can't just like, you know, force something to happen. But don't be afraid for these things uh, to, to happen naturally uh, in the room and then fill the space with the world around you. So what is going on in the scene that includes other th- objects, sounds, people, uh, environmental uh, things besides the person you're actually reading with? Because when you're a human being living life, you're not just interacting with the person uh, that you're speaking with. There's all this other stuff going on. I have you know, our two cats are in the room right now. I've got Trevor, you know, on Skype, but that's, you know, I'm dealing with like this weird technology thing. So, you know, there's other things happening environmentally around you. And I've talked about this uh, on the podcast before, but one of the stupidest tricks that I've picked up on when it comes to on-camera auditions is starting the audition, looking somewhere that is uh, on the opposite side of the camera from where your reader is so that one of the first thing, first things that happens is your eyes track across the line of the camera. So if they're on the left side of the camera, you're kind of looking off to the right, up, down, whatever it is, kind of listening to what they're saying, and then you bring your eyes across the camera and to the person. And that immediately, it's a weird thing, but when you're watching the camera back, when you're watching the footage back, just that simple trick actually fills the world around you and around the reader and around the camera with the other things that are happening um, in that room or in that space, in that environment. So fill the environment uh, contain the energy, but don't lose the energy and be as off book as possible, I guess would be my big three. Wow. I like that, uh, trick that looking across the camera, I, I didn't, I I'm imagining that in my head now and I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that totally would work. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it does. And also, um, another stupid trick that's very similar to that is nodding or shaking your head. Like while you're listening to the, the other person, because it's it's a it's it's a little bit of telegraphing, but if you do it really subtle, you can pull it off without it seeming like you're telegraphing. Um, so, like if they're talking and you have an opinion about what they're saying, which you should, you should decide what your opinion is about what they're saying. If you're just, um, you know, nodding your head or shaking your head or something like that, right before you come up and deliver your next line, 
it, it, it adds like this life to this inner life, to, to your, your opinion about what it is that they're saying. It's really stupid, but it really works. It's really effective. That's really, I mean, obviously it's like be a human being, be a real person, but, but it's funny to think about how we have to give ourselves permission to do that kind of thing. Cause I've been caught in that trap a million times where someone's talking to me and I'm like, I should be doing something with my face right now, you know, like rather than just agreeing or disagreeing or, you know, feeling what I'm feeling, I get all conscious about what mask do I have on right now and is it appropriate? So, um, it can be, you know, it's easier said than done, but I, I, I think that's great. It, it just communicates that, Hey, you're a nor- normal human being in a situation, you know, um, yeah. in, you know, in a scene. Um, that's awesome, man. The only thing I would add Bailey is, um, you know, if it's a, if it's an interview or a meeting for representation, part of what they're doing is they're getting a feel for what you're like as a person, what you're like as a human being. And so there may be the opportunity for small talk and there may not be. And that's totally cool either way. I wouldn't force anything. Um, there's really no trick as far as uh, how to appropriately nail a conversation with an agent other than just be you. And um, it's okay if that's awkward. It's okay if it's funny. It's okay if it's not. Um, but, you know, be polite, be professional. And um, if they want to talk about things that aren't related at all to the industry, that's a great sign. I remember my first meeting with my agent. We spent about 5 to 10% of the conversation talking about acting and the rest of it talking about food. And I realized immediately, like, oh, we have com- we have common ground here. He's he is still a vegetarian. I think at the time he was a vegan, and I have I was sort of exploring that world. This was many many years ago, so I wasn't fully committed yet. But I was learning about it, and and we spent so much time talking about like you know different dishes and spice combinations and things. And and he's a big baseball fan, and it turns out we had you know um, some overlap as far as family and and where I grew up and where he had family from. So. It, it was a deep conversation about everything but the industry, and we really connected on that level. So allow that to happen would be the only thing I would add to all the really, really great uh, stuff that you just offered, AJ. Yeah, I guess I focused more on the, the on-camera thing, and I completely it completely slipped my mind that that's the whole point of this is she's going into to create a relationship. So thank you for bringing that that aspect into it. That, that was uh, great advice. Be yourself. <laughs> Awesome. Bailey, let us know how it goes. Uh, this may have happened since you sent this in, but um, if it did, write to us and let us know how it went. I uh, would really love to hear um, you know, what the, what the uh, results are, what you learned, and, and what's next for you. So thanks for uh, writing in and, and keep us posted. The second question we have that we want to quickly respond to comes from uh, Marissa. And Marissa says that she's in a play that she's really proud of. Uh, she's only a few rehearsals in as of when she wrote this email at this point, it might be a little further along, but she says she's got a pretty significant role. She's super excited about this show. It's her first one since graduating school, uh, college that is. And she says, um, she's also in the midst of finding new reps. So, This creates an interesting situation that a lot of actors find themselves in. She wants to offer some comp tickets to potential representation to come see her in this production, in this play, in this show. Uh, She recently did an agent showcase, so she's got that going on for her. And uh, she plans on inviting the people that attended the showcase, so they already know her work and, and whatnot. But she's curious as to how to find and reach out to more agencies and talent agents and representatives uh, for actors. 
She asks us, do you recommend postcards? Where do you find the agencies that are looking for new talent? And will my non-union status affect me getting an agent? Also, how do you, wow, how do you recommend uh, I follow up with these agencies and find out if they want to come to see the show and, and then when? So a lot of questions here to feel, but I thought it fit in perfectly with Bailey's uh, question. Uh, you know, this is one of those things. I'll just go ahead and sort of offer a, a short preamble to any response that we could give here. This is one of those things where it's like, I feel like when you, when you see a lot of, uh, seasoned successful actors asked about how they got their big break or how they got their first agent and whatnot, I don't know about you guys, but there's always, it's always been my experience is that they, they're always just sort of at a loss for how it happened. It's not like they're, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I bought this great, you know, system from this acting coach and I went through the course and I, I filled out, you know, I checked off the boxes and then, you know, I, that's, that's how I, I follow the system and that's how I got my representation. So often it's just like, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, it just, one thing led to another. I kind of guessed my way through it. I embarrassed myself. I made a few connections. You know, it just it just happened. My my aunt's hairdresser's nephew, yeah, yeah, uh, was interning <laughs> at an agency, and yeah, I don't know. It, it, and it's tough, you know, because there are agents who are super responsive to this kind of thing, um, but they got lives. You know, they're in different phases of of their careers with their businesses. Sometimes they own the agency. Sometimes they're just working there as a hired hand. So their level of investment in finding new talent and connecting with you uh, in their job at the moment, you know, is based on so many variables. So I think all I can really do is is share what's worked for me. And AJ, maybe you can share what's worked for you as well. But I'll just quickly share. Uh, I got to L.A., uh, didn't know what the hell I was doing, made a lot of screw ups and embarrassed myself quite a bit. Eventually ran into someone that I studied, uh, an, another actor that I studied at, uh, this Vassar, um, theater program with for a few months, one summer. Her name is Anna Campbell. She's a wonderful actress. I ran into her at Trader Joe's. She was like, Trevor, I was like, Anna. And, uh, she's like, you should come do this showcase. I was like, okay. So I did this showcase. A manager reached out to me after that showcase and said, I want to rep you. I was like, great. Started working with that manager. She's like, let me get you a meeting with this agent. That agent also happened to know this guy that I used to see all the time at Apple when I worked at Apple. So the agent had two people recommend me to him, (laughs) right? You can start to see where this is going. Once I had the meeting with the agent and we talked about food and baseball and it was great, my manager dropped me, but I stuck with my agent. And then I invited him out to some plays uh, and he came. And he said, yeah, make some postcards for your plays if you want. I did. I sent them out to a bunch of casting directors and other managers. None of those people came to see the show. Uh, now, when now that his, his agency is more established, he gets postcards. I'll, you know, I'll be at his office just talking, and he'll get postcards and things in the mail. And he usually just tosses them, unless the person has sort of an interesting look. But back then, he was looking at everything that came across his desk. So I don't know that there's like a, a, a hard and fast rule. I think that the most important thing is to number one, do good work. Number two, just be talking to people, always be coming from a place of service when it comes to the people in your life and the actors that you meet and, and, you know, be open to, um, how you can enrich their lives and their journeys. And then number three, just be available, like be on all the social networks. It doesn't mean you have to constantly be posting, but make sure your work is findable, make yourself findable. And, you know, rinse, wash, repeat uh, until something works. And I, it sounds like such a sellout and a cop-out, but that's kind of all I got. <laughs> I see you laughing, AJ. What, would you add anything? 
<clears throat> no, because I'm laughing because it's totally true. That's just like it's you know my friend that I worked with, that this guy at Apple, that I thing. Uh, you know, it's it, oh god, it happens so often that way. And then you were like, I sent out postcards, nobody came. You know, I. I I have the same story. I mean, <clears throat> not the same exact story, but I, I've I've sent out postcards and nobody's come. I mean, be prepared, Marissa. Be prepared for nobody to come that you invite. Just be be prepared for that. What you're trying to do is show them that you're working. Yeah, yeah. And that's the most important thing. You're trying to show them that you're actually you're, you're doing something. Um, you invite them, not necessarily hoping that they'll come, but to show them that you're working. Um, so. I don't know what city you're in, but uh, well, first of all, let me just remind everyone that if you go back and listen to Sheila Guthrie's episodes, you know, she talks about how, you know, every casting director, every casting director's office is run like a small business. So people ask her, do you, you know, should I send postcards? And she says those famous two words, it it depends. depends. It yeah. depends, right? So that's that's just you know as a preface. Um, I don't know what city you're in, Marissa, but there are a lot of resources out there for finding uh, agency information, um, you know, uh, uh, addresses and whether or not they're seeking your type, etc. This is a lot of stuff I talk about in my digital actor workshop. Uh, Backstage.com/resources is a great place to start if you're just looking for a list of names and addresses. The problem is you're using the shotgun method versus the sniper rifle method, which is something we haven't, man, we haven't brought up that analogy in a really long time, huh? Yeah. And it, it sounds kind of violent when you when you put it like that. I feel like we should find a different uh, metaphor, but, but yeah, the idea, yeah, especially since we have such an issue with firearms in America, but yeah. Uh, so you're just, <clears throat> you're just putting out a big wide net, um, supposed to be more specific. And so, you know, you're going to, your results are going to show when you, when you do that. Um, so sometimes those types of resources, there's also these books, finding the right agent books that you can get from like, say, Samuel French, if you're in Los Angeles or, or New York, um, which is a list of agencies. The nice thing about those is they will typically say whether or not the agency is actually looking for, um, you know, just children right now or just athletes right now or just women right now, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, you, you can follow up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't push it. I wouldn't bug. And by bug, I mean like calling the agency multiple times or emailing them multiple times or something like that, because you have to be prepared for no one to come. They will come if they're the kind of agency uh, or agent who sees theater. They will come if, you know, they, they personally know someone in the show. They will come if your show is getting rave reviews and everybody in town is talking about it and, and it's sort of a must see. Um, but you know, just be prepared for nobody to come. Um, I would, were I you, after sending out these postcards, if none of the people who saw you in the, showcase come to see the show that's where i would put a little bit more focus because now those people have multiple touch points with you they've seen you in a showcase and they know you're working you invited them to this show and then maybe they come or they don't come and if they don't come after it closes you know potentially following up with um, some of them that you might be interested in but here's the thing 
just like in Trevor's situation, if you do a showcase and they're interested, they will let you know. They will, you know, it's a hard, it's a bit of tough love and hard reality. But if you haven't heard from any of the people uh, that that attended this showcase, um, you know, they may have been more interested in other people at the showcase. They may have decided that they didn't want to represent anybody in that showcase. They may have gone for the free food and drinks. You never know. <clears throat> but just, you know, I think that. I think that actors sometimes don't put enough stock in their talent and and think that, well, if I follow up enough with an agent, manager, casting director, they'll finally, whatever, call me in. Uh, if they're interested, they'll be the one that makes the effort, that takes the first step, that reaches out, that calls or emails or brings you in for a meeting. Yeah. yeah. The so, only way... Go I was going to say, especially representation, especially this is especially representation rep- and casting directors are sort of two different animals, but uh, representation, that's absolutely the way it works. They'll, they'll call you. There's, there's very little chasing down of them that you want to engage in. Right. Right. And, uh, and the only thing the sort of, um, oh man, it completely <laughs> went out of my head. <laughs> well, I, I, I do want to add one, I want to add one thing for Marissa, and that is that your best chances of getting a uh, representation or at least a meeting rep- with representation that's going to be a good fit for you and that you enjoy and that you want to work with is going to be through your circle of contacts, through the people that you know and have worked with. The closer you can be with them and the more familiar they can be with your work, and they, if they offer or you can somehow you know, g- have them be okay with literally walking your materials into their agent and say, hey, I think you should take a look at this chick. Uh, or woman or actress, sorry. That, that, that word chick, I'm trying to sort of move away out of my vocabulary. Uh, but you should take a look at her. She's fantastic. If you can have some one of your friends or contacts or peers or whomever do that, that's the absolute best way to go about it. And that starts at ground zero, again, with just relationships, with being a good person, working hard, being in service to other people. That's how you sort of get the... the the agent relationship uh, meetings that you're looking for and that are going to be a really good fit for you. Great point. Well, uh, hopefully that helped, Marissa. It was a, it's a lot to, to bite off. Give us an update. Um, as Trevor said earlier, you may be way deeper into rehearsals. The show may be closed. I don't I don't know what's uh, what's going on. I don't even know what city uh, it was in. Um, where's our invite? <laughs> uh, maybe it's in New York or, or somewhere else. But um, anyway, uh, I guess that's all before we jump into part two of this interview. Yeah, Trev? Yeah, I think that does it. There's there, Unless there's anything else you want to add before we, we jump in. No, so uh, enjoy part two with Britt and Molly, folks, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side. to this, this, uh, this project, Jump the Fence, and I want to talk about the, um, 
the uh, documentary aspect of it because you guys have one in the can, so one down, six to go, and the film is in is in post production right now. The one in Brazil, I think you shot, and you said is the first the first documentary episode, which is essentially about this this journey from like your travel there to making the film to all the sort of ups and downs of of that work and then coming back. Is that done? Um, it is also in post production. So we're post-producting at the, at the same time. Um, we are planning to take it to the um, film market in L.A. in November, which is coming up really quickly. Um, we should have a trailer together by the time that happens. And we're just, I mean, the, Ian is, Ian Stout was the, the DP on the project, and he is editing it right now um, in his free time. I mean, he's... He has to take paid work. We can't pay him. <laughs> so it's just like, how much time do you have this week? Can you spend 30 hours on something that maybe we'll get paid for in like five years? Who knows? Maybe not. Um, so it's a slow, it's a slow process. We're trying to, trying to help as much as we can, trying to push and keep things moving to make it happen as quickly and not lose momentum. And um, yeah. This is another part of the adventure, you know, it's like, okay, now, now we shot something. So now what, what do we do with this? We've, again, we've never done anything like this before. So like, what does it, what does it mean to have a pilot? What can we do with that? Like, are we applying for finishing grants? Are we going to find some angel investor who's going to come and give us the rest of the money? Are we going to like, are we going to go into a room and talk to people from HBO? That's crazy. Like that Hmm. makes me feel crazy. (laughs) Um, so that's that's where we're at is figuring out how we can get the rest of the money that we need to finish shooting the Molly, rest of the projects. Yeah. Molly, something you're saying about Ian reminded me of something I wanted to say too about how, you know, he's kind of doing this well, he is doing this on his free time and out of the goodness of his heart because this is such a passion project for everyone involved. And I think that's really cool because what that says to me is that everyone who is putting in so much of their time ourselves included like we all believe in it so much and we all believe in each other so much and same with our director friends like it's amazing to me that we have someone like Ian Stout who not only you know left his his life and his jobs to come with us on this crazy adventure for a month but he's also putting in every spare minute he has to to edit the thing and he wants to like he wanted to do that um it's so cool I love that yeah, it's, his, it's very much a family and, and we need that to have a problem like this or to have a project like this exist and succeed. It has to be that trust communication and like familial bond has, has to work. Yeah. I'd like to say, I mentioned before that we paid our, paid our rent while we were gone. What we paid Ian, it's all we could. I wish we could have dropped a million dollars on his head, but what we ended up paying him it, for the entire month, not to mention the editing and all the stuff before is what he charges for his day rate. So he really does like what you're saying, Brett, like we all are doing this because we believe in it. And, you know, we want to make something together. How how long are these documentary uh, episodes? Um, They should be 50 minutes. Wow. Okay. So, so nudging the the feature length uh, tag. Yeah. (laughs) Just tickle it. There's a Um, lot of material. (laughs) There's a lot of material. We we had 50 hours of footage when we came back and like we were like cameras were rolling the whole time. And it's, it's interesting going into editing because 
so much happens. Like it's, it is its own story. Like there was a lot of, holy shit, are we going to finish this movie? Do we have enough time? You know, um, Ale Pasciolini was the director in Brazil and he funded this project on his own dime and he was the producer and he was his own AD and like all of this extra work that he's doing to try and bring everything together and make something that he believes in. And that's, I think that's so beautiful. I'm curious um, how much uh, of a creative input you guys have in both the documentary episodic piece of the puzzle and um, in various aspects of, of each film. Great question. Um, yeah, I have been, hmm, how do I answer that? Uh, well, for example, the trailer that we're putting together, like I it put together an outline. I asked for input from Britt and one of our producers, Matt Schulte, and then I'm bringing that to Ian so that I can get his perspective on it. So I'm like helping to craft the thing, but definitely listening to him as an expert of like, I think this will or will not work, or I think it would be better this way. Um, I, he's sending me clips as they come and, um, I will be giving feedback and helping to find like the through the through line of the story and like what we're going to focus on the most because we can't show all 50 hours of footage, of course. Um, so it's another interesting thing about it is he needs the space for to be creative as an editor as well. So like I it reminds me of like when I'm working on a monologue. I have to spend a certain amount of time on it on my own before I'm ready to receive any notes on what I'm doing because it's, it's raw and I'm still figuring it out. And I want to make, I want to make strong choices that are, that people can see and comment on and give me constructive feedback. And that's kind of where he's at with it as well. It's like, okay, I need like a certain amount of time to throw together what I think is best. And then I, he welcomes me in to give feedback on what I think that like how it's coming across. And then we have a discussion of like, is it working? How can we make it better? The other aspect of this whole project, which again, I think is just so ambitiously awesome. This is actually a quote from Lacey, I believe from again, another link that I found via your website. She said, jump the fence. will show our audiences how diverse and hard and rewarding and passionate the world of filmmaking is, but it will also show our audience how decadently beautiful people are. And then she goes on to talk about how the world we're living in now often feels very divided and harsh, thanks to, you know, many factors from natural catastrophes to current administrations. I, I love that sort of larger pursuit. It's, it's a much larger piece of the puzzle in terms of showing people how similar we all really are. And what better way to do that than to go around the world to different countries and tell stories uh, in these, you know, completely different cultures. So uh, can you guys speak a little bit to that piece of the puzzle? You know, it's not just about travel and it's not just about making your own work, but it's actually there's a larger, almost like spiritual component to this, this storytelling project. I feel like as a person, I need to know there's something bigger than what I immediately see. And I know the answer to that is in humanity as a whole. Like what you're saying about, you know, the natural disasters, the political climate, all that. Sometimes it is just too much. Like it's too much. Anytime I take myself out of my own comfort zone and out of my current location, I always grow. And traveling specifically to 
meet people different from me has been something that I've been wanting to do forever. And it hasn't been until the past few years that I've been able to put myself in a position to do that. But I think it's so important. I think it's more important now than ever to be able to take a look at the lives of people who seem different from us, because I think the conclusion we'll draw is that they're not that different. And that's where empathy and, you know, just being better people comes from. And we need to see that. And I would like to see that more in like every aspect of life, you know, in commerce and art and whatever, like the more culturally diverse or geographically diverse, economically diverse it can be, I think is such a strength and that I'm interested in showing that kind of work and having those types of experiences. Um, and for me personally, I, I currently live in two different countries myself. I live here in Brazil. And so that that is something that's always in my awareness is, is wanting to have a larger scale human experience than something that's just narrowly defined by like American culture or this socioeconomic bracket or something like that. I don't even really know how to put it into words. It just feels bigger. Like I want to explore something bigger. What's the ultimate goal for you guys in this? Uh, Like if you, I know there's multiple goals I know, but at the end of the day, if you had to choose one outcome that you want people to take away from these films or from this project as a whole, uh, what would that one thing be that you hope people go home talking about and thinking about? I would want people to feel inspired to, to, to make art with your friends. Like that's basically the whole thing that it's about is finding, finding people who inspire you and really talking with them and getting into it with them and creating something together and like like we were talking about at the beginning, not waiting for permission to do what you love, like grab on to grab onto a friend and make something together. Hmm. I think similarly, I, what I'd want people to take away from this is how important it is to step outside of your comfort zone because that's where the real good stuff in life happens. Yeah. Yeah. On, on that note, I'm curious, uh, what is the, um, surprisingly easiest part of this journey so far? And also what kind of caught you by surprise that you, is a lot more difficult than you thought. More difficult than I thought would is raising money. I had no idea how difficult it was going to be to, to get money. I was very much like if you build it kind of mentality and going into this, like this idea is good. There's no way that somebody isn't going to see it and say, here's $10 million, like go do it. Um, and I have to operate that way. Otherwise I won't do anything <laughs> like <laughs> trust that it's going to work out and we're going to find it. But like just writing a budget for God's sake, like I'd never done that before. And that was very difficult for me. And I had to ask a lot of advice and get a lot of help from other people who are experienced in doing that. Just like all of these little producing details um, to get there. Um, what was surprisingly the easiest for me is I, I guess it would be just getting on the goddamn plane. It felt so good. It felt so good to get on that plane. If, you know, we'd been talking about this and working for like two years and then finally it's just like, all right, yeah, I'm just get, have to sit here for like three days and end up in Brazil. I think the surprisingly easiest part for me was how 
it doesn't really matter what place or situation I'm in. If I find my way onto a set, I know what to do and I feel comfortable and excited because mm -hmm. I think like if you think, oh, I have this new job where I don't know most everyone. It's in another country. They're going to be speaking a different language. Like, uh, what am I going to do? No, it all just kind of made sense. And that felt really good. Even on the, you know, those very first days when we're still getting to, new, to know like the local crew. Um, I was getting used to speaking in Portuguese more often than I usually do stuff like that. It just, it felt like coming home anytime I step onto a set, even if it feels like it's really foreign. So I, that was a nice surprise for me to just feel like, yes, oh, I got this. This is what's mm. up. This is good. And the surprisingly most difficult thing I suppose would be the fact that I didn't get to come home every night to a familiar place that's mine. I think there's something about being away and also being in a very intense work environment where it doesn't seem like uh, it's chunked down at all. Like it just seems like one very long day and you're not getting a lot of sleep, you know? And there's something about resetting and going home. Even if you get a few hours of sleep, you're able to reset and re-energize and like start a new long work day over. But because of the obvious situation, you know, we're in being very far away from home, et cetera, et cetera. I think mentally that gave me more trouble than I thought it would. So it really became a stamina game in a more extreme way than I than I originally thought. So that was interesting to learn about myself, how important that reset time in my own space is. Hmm. Before I let you guys go today, there's two questions that we ask all our guests, and I'm, I'm excited to hear yours and then to ask you again in a few months uh, <laughs> after you've got so much more you know, crazy experiences under your belt. So the first question is, uh, when it comes to this creative life journey, which we talked about earlier. Do you feel like this journey chose you or did you choose it? It chose me. My mom tells me I was like singing before I formulated words. And I remember like my first memories are of creating things. And I, I don't think I realized what that was until I got older. I, I think it's definitely a core piece of who I am. But I think I also have to continually choose to live this life. So I'm sure it's both, but yeah, I feel very chosen by it. I weirdly feel like I never had a choice in the matter. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is what you're doing. Um, and yeah, it was the same when I was a little kid. I remember making sets out of cardboard pieces and forcing all of my friends to be in plays with me and forcing their, <laughs> forcing their parents to sit down and watch these ridiculous, stupid plays all the time. I wish I knew you when I was a kid, Molly. We would have had so much fun. <laughs> that would have been fun. Um, and I named I named my production company after that. Um, it, well, it, originally it was Cardboard Castle, and then I found out somebody else has had that, so I changed it to Paper Palace. But it's like starting something from nothing, um, very limited resources, but like but creating something beautiful nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Mm, that's awesome. We'll have to talk about next time we have you guys on, we'll have to talk about your production company and, and some of the ins and outs of building and maintaining that. Uh, and the, the second question I just want to ask you guys quickly is if you could take all of your experience thus far in your life and in this journey in particular, everything that you've learned and distill it down to one nugget of wisdom that you could then pass along to somebody who wants to take the next step in their career, but maybe doesn't know exactly what to do. If you could distill it down to one nugget of advice, what would that nugget of advice be? Don't wait for permission oh. or don't, and don't wait till you're ready. Cause I don't think that's real. I don't think anyone's ever ready for the stuff that matters. Yeah. So yeah, don't wait for permission and don't wait until you're ready. 
Yeah, I guess just pay attention to what makes you feel good and and do it. <laughs> like listen to yourself. You are constantly telling yourself what you need um, to be creative. And if you feel inspired, run with it, grab it, do that thing. Hmm. Um, follow through, finish it. Hmm. Love that. And I just want to tag on to the end of that, something that Jenna Fisher told us when we uh, interviewed her, which was such a cool experience. We were talking about the artist's way. This was like a little bit of wisdom that just changed my life. She said, just don't do it. Don't worry about doing it perfectly. Just finish it. Yeah, I was told in in different words early on in the process when we started this. um, Matt Schulte told me, I'm not sure where this quote came from, but it was, um, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. Well, that's the perfect note to end on, uh, because I know you guys have six more films to make and six more countries to visit. (laughs) Gotta get back to work. If people want to find out uh, more about this project and about you, uh, we've got, we'll have links to both the really awesome promo video that you guys have on YouTube. We'll have that and a link to uh, the Jump Defense website on our website in the show notes for this episode. But if people want to connect with you personally, where can they go? For me, Britt, you can find me on all the social medias. Um... You can also contact me directly on my website, which is brittharris.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-H-A-R-R-I-S.com. Yeah, I have a website, too. It's mollyelizabethparker.org, and that connects to my Twitter and Facebook. You don't want my Instagram. It's boring, but I'm on both of, the, I'm on both of those things, and I try and keep up on them. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to link to uh, your your um, websites as well so people can connect with you and find out more about you and, and learn from your awesome, awesome example. I, I can't wait to follow your journey and, and, and continue to, to be a part of it uh, in, in some small way just from the, the sidelines. Cheering you on. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Good luck or break legs. Looking forward to chatting with you again very soon. Hell yeah. Hey folks, welcome back from uh, Brit and Molly part two. Well, part two of who knows, right? Because uh, we'd like to have them back on once the uh, entirety of this uh, ambitious project is complete. That was one of the things that I was most excited about was to, you know, get get in touch with them and get an interview with them before they started or, um, you know, I guess we're one project in. Um, so at the beginning of this journey and then um, bring them back on uh, towards the end. So, uh, thanks for, for, um, grabbing this, uh, interview while I was, uh, traveling. Ironically, that was ironic that we're going to have these two on when we when I was uh, in the middle of traveling, but there you have it. So yeah. appreciate that trip. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, picks of the week. Um, let's see, what is your pick of the week? My friend. Ooh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking at it now. I'm suddenly interested in clicking on the link. Yeah. Go I, on. I, so I, I've talked to you about this a little bit offline. I think I alluded to it uh, in a recent episode at one point. But this is a book that sort of changed my world. This book is called The 80-10-10 Diet by a guy named uh, Douglas Graham. He's a doctor. And um, the 80-10-10 stands for, bear with me, guys, 80% of your calories every day coming from carbohydrates. 
Uh, simple carbohydrates, mostly fruits, some vegetables, but mostly very fruit-heavy diet. And then the 10 and the 10 from 80-10-10, that's 10% fat and 10% protein. So this is a very, very low-fat diet, very high-carbohydrate diet. It's almost entirely raw. It's very, very fruit-heavy. I'm talking like 15 to 20 bananas a day fruit-heavy. And um, if, you, if you look online for 80-10-10 diet, there's a whole like movement this book came out in like 2005 and people just swear by it. I, I read this book, Proteinaholic, many episodes ago, really sort of changed my world about, about protein and, and where some of the myths that we believe about how much protein the human body needs and where it needs to come from and all that. So that led me to this book, The 80-10-10 Diet. I read it, made a lot of sense to me. I was like, yeah, you know, well, I'll try it. I'm still experimenting with it, but I've experienced a lot of really, really positive uh, exciting things that have just made my life such a joy. It, it, I have seriously biohacked my uh, emotional state with this diet. So check it out. Uh, link to that is on our website. So uh, your pick of the week. Uh, well, this is another another airplane uh, movie discovery. Um, on the way back, we watched this uh, film music documentary called Score. Um, all about movie scores and it was so beautiful and and well made and well structured Uh, if you're into music scores you might actually be disappointed if like your favorite you know composer or one of your favorite composers is not featured um because uh you know like i was disappointed for instance michael giacchino wasn't in the documentary but um you know they talk about um John Williams, of course, they talk about James Newton Howard, they talk about, um, uh, you know, Hans Zimmer, like all of the, you know, really famous, uh, you know, working film composers out there and just talk about their process and the films that they've composed. And man, there was one moment when they were talking about E.T., which is like one of the greatest scores of all time. And I, I cried. I was like, I got goosebumps and I was like taken transported right back to that film. And I just, I like wept through the whole, that whole portion of, of the film. So it's a really powerful documentary because it just, it, it really highlights how much of a film, a film's emotional experience is communicated through uh, the music. So if you go to the website uh, that we've linked to on our website, it, it shows you like you can there you can still catch it in theaters it's showing at certain on certain screens you can see film times there you can uh, get it on itunes on amazon um there's a couple other places it's available um and they're showing it on television a lot if you have a cable package so check that out uh it's called score a film music documentary Okay, score a film music documentary and the 801010 diet by Dr. Douglas Graham. Check them out. Links to those are in the show notes for this episode on our website. Uh, that is about it for this episode. Do you have anything else to add before we get out of here? No, oh, man, let's roll. All right, guys, thank you for listening to episode 295, produced and co hosted by me and AJ. Our team is Jen Levin, Gadali Gubrak, Deborah Smith, Grace Gordon, Fern Lim designed our logo, and Trevor Algott, that's me, went ahead and edited and mixed the episode today and composed the theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on social media and wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got a minute... 
please leave us a review over on iTunes. That really helps us out a lot. Special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo. And a special thanks to you guys, you guys listening. You can visit our website uh, if you'd like to learn more about the show, subscribe to our weekly newsletter, get links to everything we've talked about in this episode. Uh, and you can also, if you'd like, choose to support the continued production of the podcast with a financial contribution. You can do that in a one-time lump sum payment, or you can do it as an ongoing contribution. Just visit us at InsideActing.net to learn more about how to do all of the above uh, and to show us a little bit of love. And that is it for episode 295 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, go beyond ambition.